0: Second Samuel chapter 7 this morning. There have been a few times in my life where I have been left speechless, where I literally didn't have words. One of those times I'll never forget, it's etched in my brain, was December 27, 2005 at Winthrop Hospital on Long Island in Mineola, New York, and That was the day that Aubrey Morgan was born, our beautiful little girl. During Lori's pregnancy, we discovered that Bree had an irregular heartbeat. I'll never forget that day. Lori was having a sonogram done, and I was sitting there with her, and I could see Bree's heart on the screen. And it would beat, and it would stop, Beat, stop, beat, like it just was irregular. And of course, Lori is, Lori gets emotional and, you know, I've I've got to at least present a strong presence, but I was struggling too. And immediately after she was born, they washed her up very quickly and they put her under the heat lamp. A cardiologist walked over with a testoscope and put it right on her heart. And I stood right next to him, and he listened very intently. Didn't say anything. This probably went on for about a minute. And I'm standing there. And he gets done, and he pulls the the plugs out of his ears, and he looks at me, and he says, she's perfect. And I stood there, and he walked away. That's all he said. There were no other words exchanged. She's perfect. And I stood there and I I beheld Aubrey Morgan. She was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in the world. I was so overcome by God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's faithfulness to my family. All I could do, I remember I stood there literally trembling and I didn't have words that God would remember my family like that. It's amazing. The words of the vision regarding God's covenant. The works and ways of God took his breath away. Took his breath away. Know them. So this chapter began with David sitting in his house, which would have been... his royal or kingly palace, if you will. But after hearing the high and glorious details of this covenant, he removed himself from his house and now he wants to go and sit in what would have been a makeshift tabernacle, a makeshift house for the ark, which represented God's presence. He wanted to place himself there so that he could be close to God. We talked about this last week with respect to John who wanted to be, and he placed himself close to the heart of Christ. And again, the posture that David took here, this is what we're trying to, 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 to drive and establish is that, that you would be stirred, that you would be moved, that that you just want to be close to God. That you're not going to just settle for Knowledge about Him, but you, you, you want to be close, that you actually move and, and you walk and you structure and arrange your life so that you can be close to Him. I want to be close to you, God. That was David's heart. And his first words came in the form of a few rhetorical questions in verse 18. Who am I? O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Those questions express genuine unworthiness. I'm unworthy. Who am I? Who am I? David knew that neither he nor those after him were worthy of what God had promised. Listen, the moment that you get over the fact that God even pays attention to you, you're in trouble. The moment you take for granted that God would even entertain your prayers, that God would even afford you the great privilege of being able to boldly approach His throne of grace... The moment that becomes mundane to you, the moment that somehow you are owed that or you are entitled to that, you're in deep trouble. I want to point out first that David's response was deferential. It was deferential. That is, he expressed high regard that is due a superior or elder. He was deferential. First Chronicles 16.29 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Glory belongs to God. It is due unto His name. He and He alone is entitled to it. And He shares it with no one. At all. And we are, and when we are deferential, we give him that. When we're deferential, we give God the glory that is due unto his name. It's what we do. Notice, and this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. As great as it was to David, David recognized that it was nothing for God to do. It was a small thing in his sight. God, this is nothing for you because of how great you are. Additionally, I want you to hear this. We cannot express genuine deference toward God without smalling ourselves. We can't. Listen, if I can challenge and charge everybody in the room, everybody viewing or listening, whenever that might be, listen, if you are going to embrace this kind of posture in prayer and in walk, one of the things that you must do is get over yourself. You are not a big deal. You are not a big deal, and neither am I. God is a very big deal. And the closer you get to Him, the more deferential you should become. Because the closer you get to Him, you, you realize how great and how marvelous and how magnificent He is, and, and then you're here, Lord, who am I? Who am I? We have to get over ourselves. Verse 18, Who am I, O Lord God? David's unworthiness and nothingness were before him. And it was genuine. It wasn't some self-degradation. It wasn't that. Notice verse 19, But thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house. Verse 20, for thou, O Lord God, knowest thy servant. Verse 21, to make thy servant know them. David placed himself under God by identifying himself as God's servant. In this prayer, he identified himself or recognized himself as God's servant 10 times. That's a lowly place. That clearly says that you have put yourself and you are putting yourself under your master. That was David here. If you want to get God's ear in prayer, listen to me very carefully, express genuine deference and you will have it. You come into the presence of God, lowering yourself and exalting him giving Him glory that's due His name. And I promise you, you will have God's undivided attention. Undivided. Verse 22, Wherefore, Thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like Thee, neither is there any God beside Thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears in verses 18 and 19, the phrase old Lord God is mentioned three times. You see that, but notice, Lord is not in caps. In those verses, David referred to God as Adonai Jehovah. In doing so, he had God's omnipotence in view. That is, he is all-powerful. But in verse 22, Lord is capitalized. There, the order is reversed. There, it is Jehovah Adonai. Now, I don't claim to, to be the expert on why, but one of the reasons I can, I can definitely show you is that in verses 18 and 19, you see the focus being on what God did. Adonai, all-powerful. He can do that. But in verse 22, the focus is on who God is. Jehovah, the self-existent eternal God. The God who exists without the assistance of any outside help whatsoever. He simply is. That's the focus. As Jehovah Adonai, he is great There is none like Him. Neither is there any God beside Him. Right? This is the view that God is very careful to see if you have of Him. Do you have a sanctified view of Him? That is, do you recognize, do you give great respect to the fact that there is nothing, there is no one like Him? He has no rival. There is no one or nothing you can compare Him to. He is in a class and a category in and of Himself, and is not even close. God wants to know, is that your view? Is that your perspective of me? Is it sanctified like that? Like you see right here? In verse 22, He also referred to God as Elohim. Elohim which refers to the triune nature and power of God. This is the first name that we are given, or this is the first name that God uses in Scripture to introduce himself to us. In the beginning, God, Genesis 1-1, Elohim, the triune, all-powerful God. That is who he is. So David's response was also reverential. It was reverential. When we're talking about reverence, we're talking about this deals with the veneration of God. The veneration of God. When you're talking about reverence, veneration is the highest degree of reverence, and respect for God. It's the highest degree. And listen, it is imperative from God's perspective, it is imperative that we get this. God wants you to get this. God wants you to get this so bad that He put it in His Word. Look at Psalm 111 and verse 9. He sent redemption unto His people. He hath commanded His covenant forever. Holy and reverend is His name. Holy and reverend is His name. Reverend... Is one of the names of God. You think God wants you to get this reverence thing? (laughs) It is good for you when you pray. It is good for you to not only recognize, but to to say holy and reverend is who you are. It's your name. It speaks to who you are, God. I recognize that. When you look at the church at Corinth, what you see is you see, you see a church that instead of impacting and making a mark on the world, it was the reverse. The world made an impact and made a mark on the church at Corinth. They were worldly. And I believe we are facing the same issue today. The Bible could not be clear that God has given us three God-ordained institutions. The home, the civil government, and the church. And in each one of those, we are called to show respect to those who are in positions of authority in each one of those. God is crystal clear about that. But like the world, many believers today have taken a position that says, I only show respect to people who agree with me. My respect must be earned. I will respect you if I agree with you. I will respect you if I like you. You could not be more unbiblical immature and carnal so we have children who despise parents we have wives who have no respect for their husbands we have people who loathe government officials loathe them and believers who have no regard for their pastors The spirit of irreverence and disrespect in our culture today is palpable. And somewhere along the way, because we're right, we think God is okay with it. He's not. And where that peaks in terms of being problematic is that that spirit of irreverence and disrespect, listen, it manifests in the believer's relationship with God. We bring the same spirit of irreverence and disrespect to a God who says, my name is Reverend. This is where the believer, listen, is so very casual in their relationship with God. So very casual in their approach. No reverence, no deference. Well, talking to God is just like talking to John, it's just like talking to Doug, it's just like hanging out with a buddy. Be careful. Be careful. In that view, you don't see him as being great. You don't see him as as being sanctified, completely set apart from everyone and everything. You're playing with him. Subtly, he doesn't deserve and command reverence. So we get careless, even sloppy. Can I remind you of what we saw in 2 Samuel chapter 6 when the cart tipped and Uzzah put his hand out to stop it? On the spot, dead. In 1 Samuel, when men from Beth Shemesh looked into the ark to see it, 50,000 died. Don't play with God. Don't buy the newspaper that Laodicea is selling today that says it's all about love and God loves you so much and God needs you and he wants you so bad and so, you know, just whatever is is okay. God doesn't need you, doesn't need me. (laughs) If I can just share with you, just a tip. So anytime I'm reading my Bible and I come across a verse that clearly reveals something to me about who God is, I, I have a folder um, in, my, in, my, in my Bible app, I have a folder and, I, and one of those folders is titled God is. So I just take that verse and I just put it in that folder I've probably got 60 or 70 verses, and so those verses are on a timer that comes up throughout any given day at certain times that prompt me and remind me, number one, of who God is. So I read them, and I think on them, and I pray it back to God. Now, you don't have to do that. But what I am telling you is is if there's one thing that if you are going to walk with God properly... You had better find a way to keep yourself in check to make sure that your view of God is biblical, not cultural. There is the God that man creates, and then there is the God who is. You want to be clear and in touch with the God who is. Verse 23. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people Unto thee forever, and thou, Lord, art become their God. So, as we've seen, the nation of Israel, without a doubt, is a major focus in the covenant that God made with David. And David's attention shifts now to God's goodness with respect to what he had done for his people, for the nation of Israel. So, next we see that David's response was thoughtful, it was thoughtful. The covenant ultimately pointed to what God would do in the future. But here, David's focus was on what God had done for his people in the past. Thoughtful. He was mindful of the fact that God had set them apart as his people and had redeemed them from Egypt. And the spiritual parallel should be obvious, at least to this group. Have we not been redeemed from Egypt spiritually? We have. But let me ask you something. How often do you think about what Jesus did for you? How often do you think about Calvary? Okay, the Lord's Supper. All right, but after that. Does it require the Lord's Supper for you to really lock in and focus on Calvary? Do you have to have that alone? You know what is despicable, sickening, highly offensive to God in this? American culture where entitlement reigns. Somewhere in our carnal thinking, God owed us Calvary. He had to do that. No, He didn't. He didn't have to do that. God did not have to come in the person of Jesus Christ die and suffer the way that he did. He didn't have to do that. He wasn't guilty. We were. So, how often do you think about that? When is the last time you got down on your knees? When is the last time you took a position of prostration to say, God, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for suffering. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. God, my guilt was ever before me. I was guilty. I was your alien. I was your enemy. God, you know the things that I did in the flesh. You know all of it. Yet while we were sinners, he died for us. One of the things that has plagued Israel and the church is a short memory. A short memory. You get to the book of Deuteronomy and the nation of Israel was on the cusp of entering the promised land. But to this second generation now that's about to go in because the first generation died in the wilderness, God wanted to warn them not to repeat the failures of of the first generation, And what were those failures? One of the biggest ones was they forgot. They forgot what God did to get them out of Egypt. They forgot the Red Sea. They forgot. Deuteronomy eight verse eleven: Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, and not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, which I command thee this day. Deuteronomy eight fourteen. Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Deuteronomy eight nineteen. And it shall be, if thou do all do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. It's interesting. If you once you get into the the, the minor prophets and you, you read some of the hard hitting stuff that God said and 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 some of the things that God allowed to come against his people, you can trace it back to the book of Deuteronomy. Particularly chapter twenty eight where God told them if you forget, if you step away from my word, here's what's gonna happen. I hope you can see how connected all of these are. Because one of the reasons a believer is not deferential and reverential is because they're not thoughtful. (laughs) See, when you're thoughtful, when you remember all that He's done for you, when you remember Calvary, when you remember December 27, 2005, It provokes deference. It provokes reverence. I have a journal. And this was born out of what we read in the book of Joshua, where after they they crossed the Jordan, God told them to take these stones of memorial so that they can remind their children of, of what God did. So I have in this drone, I have a page and my artwork is terrible, but but I have these stones that I just draw. And on these stones, I I write different names and different words. And sometimes I'll take that that page, I'll sit down with God and I'll just pray. Oh man, God. Wow. I remember you did this. And oh God, yes. Thank you, Lord. That was awesome. Whoa, Whoa! we wouldn't have made it, God. I am far from a perfect father, but I love my kids. When my son got home Thursday night, my son has asthma. I'm not sure if you've ever seen a person have an asthma attack, let alone your child. Ken had an asthma attack once that was so bad. I mean, it was 10 of the most tense minutes of our lives. Watching him struggle to breathe. But God said, Trust me. And we did. And when that young man walked through the door Thursday night, we stayed out. It was late for me, Um, past 11. I'm still recovering. But before I went to bed, I got on my knees said thank you thank you thank you i'll never forget that so that's another stone now that stone will be called what was it? grand lake yeah grand lake that was a place grand lake Verse 25, <clears throat> And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house establish it forever, and do as thou hast said, and let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. You see it all here, don't you? Deference, reverence, thoughtfulness. You see it? Right there. It's all there. Praise the Lord. David gave us a beautiful template on how to pray, how to approach God. If I could could encourage you to do something, it's to take this prayer and personalize it, make it your own. However, the Lord leads you to do that, to take this prayer. And, and, and make it personal, and you pray it back to God. This would be a great devotional day for you, or maybe even week. But in these verses, we see that his response was biblical. It was biblical. David was petitioning Jehovah Elohim to fulfill the great promise that he had given David. And he knew that only Jehovah Elohim could do it. But David's approach to prayer here, in this great prayer, in this grand, magnificent prayer, was something that I know we are familiar with because I hear us talk about it. But I wonder how many of us actually do it. He simply prayed God's word back to him. That's what he did. Look at it. Look at verse 21. For thy words sake. Verse 22. According to all that we have heard with our ears. Verse 25. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken and do as thou hast said. Verse 28. And thy words be true and thou hast promised thy goodness unto thy servant. Verse 29, O Lord God has spoken it. You see that? This prayer was all about what God had said. It was biblical. (laughs) Listen, David's amazing prayer was based on God's amazing word. That's how we pray. Brothers and sisters, if God's word is not the focal point in prayer, then here's my question. How can we really pray? If God's word isn't the focal point, how can we really pray? Listen, it'd be good for you to hear this or be reminded of it. I know God reminds me of it in terms of why this is so critical, because sometimes I think we can really struggle and wrestle with God in this thing called prayer. God's greatest allegiance is always to his word. So what will always get his attention, Psalm 138, verse 2, is what he has magnified above his very name. That's amazing. When you think about that, is there anything that is higher and greater than the name of God? Yes. His word. So, <laughs> you 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 really want to have a marvelous time in prayer? You you want to experience fruitful, meaningful, purposeful prayer? Pray God's Word back to him. Let God's Word drive and push and motivate your prayer. Okay, my time is running. Verse 27. For thou, O Lord of hosts, I mean, that's another. Look at all these names. Lord of hosts. Captain or marshal of the armies of heaven and earth. Lord of hosts, God of Israel, has revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee an house. Therefore, hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true. And thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore, now let it please thee to bless the house. Of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. As we close, I want you to see finally that his response was faithful. It was faithful. From verses 24 to 29, he used the word forever five times. Five times. David knew that he had an expiration date in this life, but he's praying prayers about eternity. When you read this prayer, there is no doubt that he believed God was going to fulfill this eternal promise. Faith. If we're honest, if we're honest, at times prayer can seem to be a maddening experience, right? Maddening. Am I wasting my time here? Is anything happening? Is this useful? It just seems pointless and fruitless, but here is something I want you to take with you today for sure. If you get nothing else, one of the deadly poisons of prayer is doubt. Doubt. Not praying from a place of faith. If I can, if, if, if we can agree with God, I, I, I want to, and there's many places, but I want you to hear, I want you to hear from God. I want you to see clearly how God perceives and processes our doubt. Psalm 78, 21 and 22. This is a great chapter. It gives God's history, God's faithfulness, God's goodness to Israel. It's marvelous. After all that he had done, they had the audacity to question, yeah, but can he furnish a table in the wilderness? Did we not do that? God has only been faithful. God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, I will not fail thee. God can't fail you. He can't. Yet, if we're honest, starting with this guy right here, I can face something where it's like, yeah, God, I, yeah, you, you did all that, but I don't know about this. I don't know if you can furnish a table in the wilderness. Yeah, that, I mean, the Red Sea, wow, yeah, that was something. But I don't know about this. Here's how God looks at that. Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel. Why? Because they believed not in God and trusted not in His salvation. Is that oh, that's the Old Testament. So let me... Let me. All right, let's look at that. So if that's true, then are you saying that God is okay with the believer in the church age operating from a place of doubt and not trusting in him? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Please, God does not appreciate our doubt because it accuses him of not being trustworthy. Doubt is accusatory to God. It says, there's something about you, God, I don't know. I just, I don't know that I can trust you. I don't know about that. I can trust you with my soul. I, 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 I can trust you for eternal life, but after that, uh, I think I'm going to roll like the churches of Galatia. It's the best that I can do. Father, forgive me in my weak attempt to try and communicate um, uh, such wonder and majesty and greatness and awe of this prayer. I do pray that it won't return void because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.